Let me invite you to take your Bibles this morning and open up to the very center of your Bible, to the book of Psalms, as we continue through this series. And this morning we're going to land in Psalm chapter 19, actually is where we're going to be, so if you'll go ahead and find your place there, we're going to walk through this great psalm. We're reading through the psalms together as a church, and we're discussing through the psalms as life groups, and we're learning to pray the psalms and memorize the psalms, and our hope and our trust and our prayer is that uh, what you see in this little tagline is more than just a tagline, that the Word of God will shape us. And we're walking through Scripture as we do, but we're walking through the Psalms and trusting that the Psalms will shape our hearts. We last week kind of gave you a big idea of what we're aiming for and what we're shooting for as we walk through this series. And we said this, kind of a big truth from last week, and I'll just read it to you again as kind of a reminder, but the big truth from last week was this, that the Psalms, when, uh, when read, when they're taught, when they're prayed, sang, and meditated on, powerfully shape our view of God. That's what we're wanting. We're not wanting to just read. We're wanting our hearts and our souls to be shaped by God. When they're sang and meditated on, they shape our view of God. They shape our view of ourselves. And Scripture, the the Psalms, shapes our view of all of life. Is shaped by the Word of God. And that's our prayer. So this morning we're going to land in Psalm 19. Now, it's, we, we always try to tie our music together, and maybe you're going to pick up on that this morning, but we've sang about the glory of God, and we've sang about the, the Word of God, and now we're going to open up to Psalm 19, and that's, all it's, that, that's what it's about. About the glory of God, and how God is making Himself known, and how He's made Himself known in creation, and how He makes Himself known in His living Word. So Psalm 19, I want to I want to kind of start with this illustration. Maybe you're, you're like me and you, you just like going outside on a clear night. And my wife loves this. My wife loves the stars and just loves to go out on a clear night when you can see and you can look up and your mind and your, it's just kind of overwhelming the, the millions and millions and billions of stars that you can see in the sky. As you know that we, our location in the universe, scientists tell us we are in the middle of what's called the Milky Way galaxy is our location. And I did a little research on the Milky Way galaxy this week. You, you may not know this, you may not care, but I think it's pretty interesting that the Milky Way galaxy that we're a part of, from one side to the other, scientists estimate is a 180,000 light years across. You say, I don't even know what that means. That, that boggles my mind. It, it, here's what that means. It takes light that's traveling at 186,000 miles per second. That's pretty fast. That's faster than Pastor Daniel drives his car. So that's really fast. 186,000 miles a second. It takes light 185,000 years to get from one side to the other. Light. That's big. It's immense. The Milky Way galaxy. The Milky Way galaxy, scientists estimate, is made up of 400 billion stars. The closest star, as you know, is the sun. That's one star, a little bitty star relative to all the other stars. Milky Way galaxy is made up of 400 billion of them. I learned this this week. I didn't know that scientists believe there's something at the middle of the Milky Way galaxy. They call it a black hole. That The size or the mass of this black hole would be like taking one of our suns, the sun, 4.3 billion of those, that's the size of that black hole in the middle of our 
galaxy. She's immense. According to the findings of the Hubble Space Telescope, our galaxy that we live in and its immensity is just one of at least 100 billion other galaxies. <laughs> I mean, numbers that just boggle the mind, the expanse and the enormity of the heavens. One scientist was very honest and he said, what boggles the mind is that the vast majority of the universe is yet to be observed. We've never even seen what's there. So you think about that, you have to ask a couple questions and our culture is asking these questions and you have to be asking these questions and the way you answer these is very, very important. Okay, with all of that, then how did it all get here? It's kind of basic Psalms tell us that. You don't have to turn there, but Psalm 33.6 says this. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. All 100 billion, 400 billion, how many ever galaxies there are, they're all there by the word of the Lord. He spoke and it came into being. And that's not my opinion. That's not conjecture. That's what God says about the created world. And by the breath of his mouth, all of their host, everything that's existing, all that vast array of the galaxies is there because God spoke it into being. And the word of God, according to Colossians, he holds it all together. What holds all that together? The word of God, his spoken word, holds all that together. You may or may not agree with that. That's God's word. But here's even a bigger question for us this morning. Okay, all right. God spoke it, and it's all there. Okay, but why is it all there? I mean, God, wouldn't 10 billion galaxies be enough? I mean, why the expanse of the heavens? Why all of this that you've chosen to create? Why is it there? Psalms shapes our view of that. The book of Psalms helps us answer that question in our heart, not just to have a, a trite answer, but to shape our worldview and to shape the way when you walk outside at night and you look up in the stars, what comes to your mind? What goes through your mind? What do you see when you see that? Why is it all there? Psalm 19, I'm going to read the first six verses, then we'll read 7 through 14, kind of part two this morning, but let me, let me just start with the first six verses. It says this. For the choir director, meaning this was written originally and put to music, it's a psalm of David. King David was the human author of this. From the mouth of God says this, verse 1, the heavens, and we just talked about the heavens. The heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse. The expanse which scientists are admitting we can't even get our minds around the expanse of the heavens. And their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. In other words, everything that is created ultimately exists to point to and reveal the glory of its creator. The heavens exist for the glory of God. And if you don't know what the word glory means, let me give you just a real practical understanding. The word glory means the weight of something or the value of something. It was kind of a monetary term talking about gold. Gold had a certain glory or value to it. The point is that everything that is created, the heavens and all their expanse, is declaring the greatness and the worth and the value of the one who made them. That's why they exist. Verse 2, day to day pours forth speech. Every morning, every night, every sunrise, 
every rotation of the earth, day to day to day, upon day upon day upon day, consistent, predictable, a pattern is communicating the greatness of our Creator. And night to night reveals knowledge. Verse 3, there is no speech, their voice is not heard. What does that mean? That sounds like a contradiction. There's speech, but there's not speech. What does that mean? Well, there's not verbal communication. There's not words. In other words, what the, the heavens are communicating transcend human language. You don't have to learn a language to go out and look up at the heavens and behold the stars. If you're a human being, you can walk out and behold all the heavens and realize, man, there's something greater that made all this points to the creator it's the nonverbal, universal communication of creation itself pointing back to our creator that's why it's there verse 4 their line the heavens has gone out through all the earth and their utterance to the end of them or the end of the world in them he has placed a tent for the sun the psalmist now goes from it's kind of a word picture he says the heavens are like a big tent And it's like this sun, this glowing ball that goes from one end of the heavens and horizon from the morning into the evening. It's like the heavens are a a tent enclosing this sun. The sun, he focuses, verse 5, is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. That's a reference to a Jewish wedding. Jewish weddings were not like our weddings. The first thing that happens was the, the husband or the bridegroom would come out of this kind of holding chamber, this chamber in all of his glory, and he would come to the front, and the father would be standing there, and the father would say, now go get your bride. And the bridegroom would go get his bride and walk her to the front, and it was this beautiful, glorious event David says, as glorious as that in the glory of the sun as it merely rises and circuits through the sky and it sets every evening in a perfect, predictable pattern, energizes the earth, gives life to the earth. It's a glorious thing pointing to the Creator. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. He says it's like a champion running from one side of the heavens to the other. Verse 6. It's rising. The sun is from one end of the heavens. And its circuit is from the other end of them. And this is very important. End of verse 6. And there is nothing. No creature. No living being. Hidden from its heat. What is all this about? I'm going to divide this psalm in a couple sections. I'm going to give you a couple big ideas All of that goes to this really big idea that we're trying to communicate is this. Here we go. Big idea number one. God has made himself known through the world which he has created. Creation, the works of God, reveal the greatness and some of the character and the attributes of our God. In other words, the the vast immensity of the universe, I mean, just immeasurable, reveals that our God is powerful. The sun itself demonstrates the faithfulness of God. I mean, you don't have to get up in the morning and, you know, where is that sun? It's just not here yet. It's faithful and consistent and regular. It's the pattern to it. How does all that hold into place? God and reveals his faithfulness. The rain that comes down, which we've had a ton of the past few months, the rain that comes down reveals God's faithfulness and his provision and his care and his goodness. In other words, all of creation. From the interstellar beings that you can't even see with a human eye to a little blade of grass is a theology lesson pointing to the one who made it. See that? Now listen, for us, that's how the Psalms shape us. 
The Psalms shape the way we see our world, and the Psalms shape how we experience and know our world. So the heavens are declaring the glory of God. And listen, I'll be honest, I'm one of those guys, my family knows this, there's no place I'd rather be than outside somewhere. I love the outdoors, and I love to be out in creation. I, I love to enjoy hiking and biking and anything you could do outside. I just love being outside. I'll give you a quick example. A few years ago, my family went to a place called uh, Yosemite National Park. You know, Yosemite Sam from Looney Tunes, it's named after, anyway, it doesn't matter. Yosemite National Park, if you ask me, where is the most breathtaking place on the planet you have ever been? I'll say consistently and every time, it is Yosemite National Park. Just breathtaking. I mean, waterfalls are coming down everywhere you can see, and the, the rocks, and the, just the way it's been carved. It's just a beautiful, breathtaking place. The tragedy for me would be with all of the glory of Yosemite, as glorious as it is, to go and behold that and see all that and think, what's this, that the glory of that national park, Yosemite, is an end in itself. In other words, the point is Yosemite National Park. And I would not be able to see behind the glory of Yosemite National Park, and glorious as it is, there is a greater glory behind it. That's what creation is to do. Creation is not an end in itself. Creation, was, creation exists. Everything that was made is to point to the greater glory behind it, the glory of our Creator. So let me say it this way. The heavens, the stars, nature, and all of creation are glorious gifts to be enjoyed. And we enjoy creation. But ultimately, it all exists to direct our gaze to the greater glory of the one who made it all. That's why creation exists. To behold the wonders of the universe and stop there. It's like this. Let me give you another quick illustration. To behold the wonders of all of creation and just stop there and not see what behind it would be like taking a summer, loading up your family, traveling to Florida, and going to the sign that's outside Disney World and spending a week camped out at the sign of Disney World. You say, this is the most incredible sign I've ever seen. Look at this sign. It's got ears and it's just glorious. Look at that sign. Until somebody comes up and says, you understand that the sign is only here to point to the greater glory of Disney World that's over there. And you go, huh? I thought that's all there was. You've got a world full of people that love creation because they think that's all there is. There is a great glory behind the creation you see, and it surpasses the glory that you can see, and that's the glory of God. C.S. Lewis tries to communicate it this way, and he gives an illustration. He says there was a day he was out in a, a tool shed, and it was very dark, and he, he's describing, he's writing this letter to this guy, and he says in that dark tool shed, the sun came out from behind a cloud, and beams of the sun came down into this tool shed. It was so dusty, and dust was stirred up that he could literally see the beams. You know how sometimes beams can capture dust, and you can see them. And he said, in that moment, I stepped into one of the beams, and it caught my eye, and I no longer saw the beam. Watch this. My mind and my eye and my heart traveled up the beam to the greater source that was behind it. And Lewis's point is all of creation is like sunbeams. You don't just marvel at the sunbeams. Your soul travels up those beams to the source from which it came. That's creation. God let our hearts travel 
beyond what we can see to the source that is behind it all, to the glory of God. And let us take the message of Jesus Christ as the creator to the world that thinks this is all that there is. It's our job. There's so much more. See that? So Psalm 19, is the first six verses, is really communicating that God is a God who is revealing himself to us. He's making himself known. And then the author kind of kicks it into high gear and he goes to the next level. And that's where we pick up verse 7 through 14. And he goes from, okay, here are the works of God, how he has made himself known. And then he's going to begin to talk about, okay, now let's talk about the word of God. In other words, the, what comes from the mouth of God, not just his works, but how he has spoken to us. And that's Psalm 19, verses 7 through 14. I'm going to read 7 through 14 as it holds out. And I want you to remember what we're reading here. I asked you earlier, what is your view? How do you value God's word, God's living word? We, we, have, a, we have a record of God's revelation to us, the Bible. It's not the ink, and that's not the point. When you hold your Bible, you have a written, reliable record of what God has spoken to us. How does God view the Scriptures? How does God view His Word? Verse 7 through 14. Let's read these, and you can follow on the screen or in your Bible. Verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. Now you're going to see here six different descriptive phrases Uh, All referring to the scriptures. All referring to God's word to us. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. We're going to talk about each of these in a minute. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. Verse 10, they are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned in keeping them, the word of God. There is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Pause. What David is saying here is you don't just read God's Word, God's Word reads you (laughs) and reveals what's really in your heart. God's Word is the authority, not us, and he's speaking that. Let's keep your servant back from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless and I'll be acquitted of great transgression. Verse 14, and then it goes into a prayer, and the psalm ends kind of like it began with creation speaking, creation declaring who God is. And then David comes back and says, okay, what about my speech? What comes out of my mouth? And he says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So I want you to think for just a second Maybe a little illustration will help you. So let's just say that you and I had never met before. You didn't know me. And somebody gave you a picture of me. And you took that picture and you kind of studied that picture. And you would learn some truths, some things that were true about me. You'd know my hair color and 
my eye color, and I'm kind of weird looking, all that, whatever. And you, you know, you, you'd learn some things about me from that picture. But that picture would be very limited to reveal to you my heart. You, you could study that picture all day, and here's what would happen. You would know a lot about me, but never from that picture would you know me. That's creation versus God's word. You can study creation and walk through creation and behold it, and you'll know some truths about God. You'll know some attributes. You'll see, man, he's a God of order. He's a God of care. He's a God of all those things, God of grace and faithfulness. But through his word, through the living word, Jesus Christ who came, and through his written word that you hold in your hand, the Bible, that's how you come to know him. Not just about him. So it's ludicrous to think, well, I could just kind of walk through creation and come to know this God. No, 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 no. You, know, you can know some things about him, but it's no different than studying a picture of someone and claiming that you know that person. You don't know that person. You know about them. Only through conversation and only through communication and only through time spent will you truly come to know that person. God has, here's the point, here's the point. God has entrusted his word to us that we may know him. And not just know the Bible. Be careful because the Pharisees in the New Testament, they knew the Bible. They knew Genesis through uh, Deuteronomy. They had it memorized. They knew the scriptures. But Jesus, the living word, came and walked among them and they rejected him because they knew the Bible. They didn't know the God of the Bible. Scripture is given as a reliable, trustworthy, watch this, window by which we look through to know and see and commune with God in a clear, sure way. The Word of God is to know Him. And this comes through communication. So this is your second big idea. So God is... God has revealed himself through creation. You can know about him. But then here it's revealed, big idea number two is this. God has made himself known through the word that he has spoken. In a crystal clear, reliable, consistent, trustworthy way. So I'm just going to tell you, there's a lot here in verses 7 through 14. We're not even going to be able to cover it all. All right, but here's the way I want to try to tackle it over the next few minutes is we're going to come at it this way. Okay. Number one is this, what is the value of God's word? And then secondly, what is the power of God's word? What does it do in your life? So we talk about you being shaped and we talk about this word being a part of your life and you giving place to the word. What does it do in our daily lives as followers of his? So I'm going to try to tackle it that way. First question is, what is the value of God's word? Now, depending on who you talk to, I, I, don't know, I don't know where you stand on all this this morning. You, most of you probably would say I'm a believer. Most of you would say, yes, I believe God's Word. I believe the Bible and raise your hand. But here, here, here's what I want us to see this morning. What we're getting ready to walk through, it doesn't really matter what my opinion of God's Word is. It really doesn't matter what anybody else's opinion of God's Word is. God's about to tell you how He views His Word. And for you and me, I, my prayer is that as we read this and we study this and we meditate on this, the, the, the Spirit of God in your heart will elevate your view of the Word of God for His glory and for your good. <laughs> he said there is great reward in the Word of God. So what is the worth or what is the value of God's Word? Now go back to verse 7. We're going to walk through 
particularly verse 7 and 8, really close. We're not going to have time to go through all the verses like that. But verse 7 says this. First one I want you to see is it says, The law of the Lord is perfect. What does that mean? The word law is not the idea of merely just judicial commands. That's, that's not the point here. The word law is a comprehensive term that means all of the teachings that God has given us, all of His instruction that comes from His Word, that's in His Word, that comes from His mouth. As the Creator, He has given us the manual for maximum life. He has spoken on how things work. He has spoken on who we are. He has given us all of his law. It is, this is how we learn to live life to the full, if you will, on planet earth that God created. His law. That's an interesting word. It says the law of the Lord is perfect. What does that mean? The, the word perfect literally means complete. It's not perfect as opposed to imperfect. The idea of perfect in the Hebrew mind was the idea of wholeness or complete. It's not fragmented. It's not partial. And the point of that is we live in a broken, fragmented world. Everything in this world is tainted by sin. And God has spoken into this world and given us his word that is complete and lacking nothing. That's the point. Law of the Lord is perfect. Fully developed, it's whole. Verse 7 says, The testimony of the Lord is sure. The word testimony literally means what is true of God. It is, it is as if I were trying to communicate who I am. The testimony of the Lord is God communicating to us who He is, what He is like. It is His testimony. He's done that most clearly in His Scripture, the written word and the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ. The focus right now is on the written word here in Psalm 19. He says, It is sure testimony. In other words, all of us watch the news from time to time. I don't watch the news much, i got to be honest with you, because it's what? It's unreliable. All of it. Well, not Fox News. By golly, you're living in a dream world. It's all just crazy. Okay, I got off on a tangent. What's the point? (laughs) The point is there's nothing you watch on TV that in the back of your mind you're going, I wonder if that's really true. You better have that idea. I wonder if that's really true. God says of his word, the testimony of the Lord is sure. Meaning completely trustworthy, completely reliable, completely certain. You you can lean upon it is the picture. It's not fake news. You don't have to go, I don't know if that's really true about God. He has given you a sure, reliable testimony of who he is the point you can trust it in fact Peter said in first Peter chapter I'm sorry second Peter chapter 1 he's telling of when he and the other disciples went up on the Mount of Transfiguration and Jesus was with them and Jesus kind of unveiled himself and revealed his glory and they were all marveling and said yeah Jesus is showing us he's God who he is and they had this marvelous experience on the Mount of Transfiguration and you think wow if I could have an experience like that man everything would clear up for me and Peter comes right back behind it and he says you know what as great as that experience was he then says we have a more sure word of God meaning there's no experience you could pursue, there's no experience that you could long for that would ever give you a more clear understanding of who God is than what you already hold in your hand in the Bible. That's the testimony of Scripture. So don't you be going off chasing some mystical experience somewhere 
or watch some video and they'll send you their prayer towel and you can have this mystical experience and come to know God. It will never exceed what you've already been given in the more sure word of Scripture. Right? The testimony of the Lord is sure. Verse 8, he says, the precepts of the Lord are right. This is so important for us. God says, listen, here's what I think of my word. Here's what's true of my word that I've given you. A precept is an instruction. It's a, it's a teaching. It's a, it's a directive. It's a life principle. It says the precepts of the Lord are right. Now watch. Not right as opposed to wrong. That's not the idea of the word right. The word right means it will, it will lead you down the correct path. It is a right direction given to you. In other words, you can take the word of God and take the precepts of God's word as it applies to your marriage and your parenting and your finance and your job and how you lead people and how you serve and how you whatever, and it will lead you down the right path. The precepts of the Lord are right in other words, you'll never get to somewhere and look around and go, man, I ended up, it's a mess because I trusted God. And I applied his word. That doesn't mean it's easy. That doesn't mean it's without challenge. That doesn't mean it's without the shaping of God through pain and trials. That's not what that means. But it does mean you will be headed on the right path because the precepts of the Lord, the instructions of the Lord are right. Listen, here's an illustration. I have an iPhone. I love my iPhone. I hate iMaps. You know why? Because I can't tell you how many times I put an address in and I get somewhere and I'm in the middle of a road somewhere and, no, and, and iMaps goes, you have arrived. I haven't arrived. Watch. I have trusted something to lead me in the right direction and the outcome is not what was promised. That will never be the case with God's word. Ever. Precepts of the Lord are right. Verse 8, he says, middle of verse 8, it says, The commands of the Lord, or the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Commandment means absolute. What his directives, what he has spoken, it's sincere. There's no hidden motives. It's clear. It's not intended to be fuzzy. God gives great clarity to his word. You don't have to find the hidden code behind God's word. God has spoken his word to us with great clarity. Verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean. Talking about really worship that comes from the word. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. In other words, you take Genesis to Revelation as God has revealed it. There is not a single ounce of un untruth anywhere in it. All of it together is true and reliable. We believe that. God says that about his word. Now verse 10, look with me at verse 10. What's the worth of all this? What's the worth of God's word? He says, they are more desirable, they being the composite of God's word, all of God's teaching, his word, his law, his precepts, etc., etc. They are more desirable than gold. Yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Time out. There's, there's a word in the Psalms that you're going to come across over and over as you read through the Psalms, and it's the word selah. Selah means pause. It means time out. It means think about what you just read. It means let that sink down in your heart. I'm going to call a selah for a minute, okay? Here's why. The majority of time, I or you do not believe verse 10. 
We don't. God says to you and to me with all authority and all love and all grace and all mercy and all kindness. Listen, listen, Mike, listen. This word that I've given you is more desirable than gold. Yes, than much fine gold. Meaning no amount, no wealth, no earthly possession. And God entrusts good things to us. That's not the point. He gives us good things. He says, listen, no earthly possession you'll ever have. No pursuit of more wealth can ever be greater than a pursuit of the gold of the word of God. It is greater benefit to your life. Greater. He says it's sweeter also than the honey or than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. And you say, I don't even like honey. What's that about? Well, listen, in that day, 2,000 years ago, they didn't have Kit Kats and Snicker bars. And they didn't. You know what they had? Honey. Nothing sweeter in that day than honey. So if you wanted to communicate the most The most satisfying thing that you could put on your tongue in that day, it was honey. So David is saying here, listen, you want to know the sweetness and the worth and the value of God's word as he's given to us? It is sweeter than honey. And it is sweeter. There's nothing sweeter than honey that just dripped off the cone. Or so I'm told. I'm not a bee guy. That's what they say. So he said, listen, you get fresh honey. There is nothing sweeter in your life than the word of God. Because it's living and active. It has come from the mouth of God. Jesus said, man shall not live on bread alone. We need bread. But your soul lives on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, I don't have a lot of time left, and there's a lot here to cover, so you're going to have to do some of this on your own, all right? That's the value and the worth of God's word. Do you see God's word like God sees his word? Second question, very quickly. Not only what's the worth, he showed us that, but what's the effect? What does God's word do in our lives? I'll give you these very quickly. You don't have to look it up. Hebrews chapter 4 says the word of God is living and active. The word active means God's word does something in us. It's transformative. 1 Thessalonians 2 says it performs a work in us who are believing. The Spirit of God in us takes the the written Word of God and does something to our soul, to our lives. What does that look like? Verse 7. Let's go back through these again. I'm going to show you the effect of God's Word. Verse 7 says the law of the Lord is perfect. We talked about that. Complete. Okay, what does it do? It restores the soul. The soul refers to who you really are. The soul refers to your inner being. The Hebrew word is nefesh. It means wind or spirit. And the idea that's your inner person. It's who you really are. The word of God is restorative to your very soul. The word restore means to return to life, to put back together. It's the idea of breathing life into something that was dead and giving life to it. Can these bones live, Ezekiel? Yes. The word of God by the spirit of God breathes life into our very soul. Peter takes this and explains it to us. Don't look this up, but 1 Peter 1.23, you can just write it down. He says to believers, he says, You have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. 
Why did you ever see Christ for who he is? Why did you ever come to faith? It's because someone somewhere shared with you the gospel, shared with you the word of God, and the word of God has a power through the spirit of God to take what was dead, me, and bring me to life and give me eyes to see who God is. That's the power of the word of God. So as we make Jesus known, we can use all our gimmicks and tell all our stories we want. It is the power of the word of God that gives life through the spirit of God. The word of God. So he says it restores the soul. Now, again, this is so beautiful. The, the idea of restoring something is to take something that was fragmented and put it back together. Some of you right now are going through your days, day in and day out, and you feel a fragmented soul. Here's what it feels like. Everything is coming apart. Feel that way? God says, it is the living word of God, what comes from my mouth, that will put your soul back together. It's what gives life to us when we were dead in our sins. But as believers, it's how we grow. It's how our soul is nourished. It's how we thrive in the word of God. Peter said it this way, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. It is God's gift to us, and it's how you grow. It restores your soul. John Piper said, you cannot maintain a dynamic, powerful, vibrant life in God if you neglect the word of God. Because it is that that is daily reviving our broken soul. Isn't that good? What else does it do? Quickly, verse 7. Restores the soul. It says, the testimony of the Lord, who God is, makes wise the simple. Wisdom is seeing things from God's perspective in light of who God is. So if you have a clear understanding of who God is, then you can see all of life with wisdom. Your relationships, your dating, your finances, whatever word you want to put in there, it's wisdom to that. Living skillfully is wisdom. That comes from God's word. It says it gives wisdom to the simple. What does simple mean? The word simple is a, is a description, and it literally means open door. In other words, apart from God's wisdom, we are open doors, meaning we don't have the discernment or the discretion to say no to some things and yes to some things. It, it, we either just let everything in or we let everything out. That's true in our conduct. That's true in our behavior. That's true in how we spend money. That's true in how we relate to people. It is the Word of God that gives us discretion and wisdom and discernment to live skillfully in this world and not be simple and open door. See that? Verse 8, quickly. Precepts of the Lord are right. Remember that path. They're right. They guide you down the right paths. And what does that do? It rejoices the heart. There's rejoicing in the heart that comes from taking God's word and applying God's word to your life, knowing what it says, meditating, praying through it, applying God's word through the Spirit. End of verse 8, enlightening the eyes. Part of wisdom is understanding reality. Every one of us are believing lies somewhere, and we need our eyes open to reality. What does that? The power of the Word of God in our lives. So the Word of God gives life. The Word of God gives wisdom. The Word of God opens our eyes. The Word of God gives joy. All of those things, more precious than gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. You could read the rest of those on your own just for sake of time. I want to kind of do it this way. Okay, so, man, that's, that's a lot. How do we respond to that? 
How do you respond to that? I want to go to verse 14 and we'll wrap up there. And then it says this, David kind of ends on a prayer, really. And that's what you do with the Psalms. You read, you meditate, you chew on them, and you turn them into prayers back to God. Here's what David says. He says, okay, with all this, let the words of my mouth. Because we all know the words of our mouth reveal what? What's in our heart. You say, well, I didn't mean to say that. I should, well, you did mean to say it, but it might have revealed something about your heart. And what you need to do is realize, God, I may have a heart issue. It's true of me, true of you. He says, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. A lot in this verse. Here's what I want to focus on really quick. He goes back to this idea of meditation. Talked about it a little bit last week. We'll talk more about it next, next week. What does that mean? In other words, how do you view God's Word? What place does God's Word have in your daily life? You say, well, I, you know, I read it occasionally, or maybe I pop a devotional, you know, five minutes in the devotional, reading what somebody else has to say about the Word. That's okay. Don't stop there. David says, I want to meditate on the Word of God. And basically what that means, and again, we'll talk more about this, is this idea. that Meditation, you can define it this way. Meditate on God's Word is to read, memorize, ponder, and speak God's Word to ourselves, replacing our thoughts with the very thoughts of God. In other words, what I hope happens in our lives as a church, and as we walk through this psalm series, and and for you is to be challenged in whatever place you are in your journey as a believer, to say, man, the Word of God's not part of my life. We want you to make it a part of your life. It is great reward. (laughs) There's great joy in it. Maybe you've been reading the Word of God for years and years and you have no idea what this idea of meditation is and the challenge for you is to go to the next level. I don't just read it, but I want to ponder it. I want to meditate it. I want to seep down into my soul so that the very thoughts of God become so intermingled with my thoughts. What comes out of my mouth is a transformed heart by the Word of God, meditating on God's Word. So I, I don't know that I'm still getting what meditation is. I, I just picture somebody, you know, sitting with their legs crossed. Going, oh, no, no, that's not. No, that's emptying your mind. Biblical meditation is filling your mind with truth. I'll give you an example, and we'll close with this meditation. We live in East Tennessee, right? Say, so, yeah, I think we live in East Tennessee. Farms and there's cows everywhere, right? You can't go anywhere without cows. I grew up around cows. I'm not a big farmer necessarily. You can probably tell that. But cows everywhere. But we had cows out in the field. I always ask my dad, say, Dad, every evening I look out and those cows are just sitting around and they're doing what? Under the shade tree. You know, I know they get up in the morning and they, they graze and they eat this grass and they eat this grass and they eat this grass. And then all afternoon they just sit there under the shade tree and they're doing what? They're chewing. I say, Pastor Mike, I didn't know that. Well, you just learned something about cows. That's what they do. And I asked my dad, I said, okay, dad, what are they doing? Why are they chewing? And he cleared it up for me. He said, well, they're chewing their cud. I said, dad, I have no idea what a cud is. I don't, what is that? And the point was, you learn something about cows, and here's what happens. Cows in the morning, they'll, they'll take in this grass, and they'll feast, and they'll get this grass in there, and they have four-chambered stomach, and they'll go down in their stomach, and then in the afternoon, they'll sit down, and they'll... Here's, here's what they'll do. They'll take that that they've already gotten in them, and throughout the day they'll <laughs> regurgitate it back up into their mouth, 
and they'll chew on it some more, and they'll chew on it some more, and they'll chew on it some more. Why are they doing that? Because they're getting every last nutrient, every last vital, you know, vital mineral, every last piece of energy that's there, and it's restoring them, and it's giving them life and giving them energy. That is a picture of biblical meditation. Because you get the Word of God down into you, and you read it, and you begin to memorize it, and you begin to learn portions, and then throughout the day, you, you speak that truth back to your mind. Maybe you have a note card over your visor or on your mirror or whatever, and you're speaking that truth back to your, to your heart and to your mind. And it doesn't happen in a day, doesn't happen in a week, but over time, it begins to transform the way you think. What's this? I'm going to ask the praise team to come on up or just going to sing a song in just a minute but don't don't lose me hang with me it begins to change the way you think and watch this how you think begins to shape your attitudes and then when your attitudes begin to be shaped guess what that shapes your practices and then your practices determine your life it's the way it works so David says, oh, Lord, let the meditations of my heart, that which goes in, that which changes my mind, changes the way I think. And I'm encouraging you, brothers and sisters, what place does this word have in your life? It is great reward. It is more valuable than any possession you could pursue. It is sweeter to your taste than any pleasure you can find on this earth. And that's not my advice. That's what God says about his word. Amen. I want to ask you just to bow your head for a minute. And I, 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 want to, I want you to think about a couple things. Again, you may be here and you, you, you may know Christ. And I, I hope the challenge is, Lord, give me a hunger for your word. You may be here and you, you may be saying something like this. All right, what if I don't desire God's word like that? What's up with me? I go to the Bible and I open it and it's just like, doesn't make any sense to me. I don't understand it. I, what's going on with me? Here's what might be happening with you. Number one, you may need to pray like the psalmist prays somewhere else. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, God, give me that longing and hunger for your word again. And it may be that you're filling your mind and heart with so much junk food. When a steak dinner is sitting in front of you, it's not very appealing. That could be it. Or it could be you sit here this morning, when you open God's word, you can't say with David in Psalm 19 verse 14, oh Lord my rock and my redeemer because you don't know Jesus Christ as your redeemer the only reason David was able to say all that he said about the word of God and all that he understood and that it was more precious to him is because he had been redeemed by God Almighty through the Messiah that was going to come, Jesus Christ. In other words, you may be here and when you open the Bible, you're reading somebody else's mail. Doesn't make any sense to you because the spirit of Jesus Christ does not dwell within you. You've never by faith come to the point where I need a redeemer, I need a savior, I need the living word, Jesus, who has come to save. If that's you this morning, God, I pray your eyes are open and you by faith cry out to King Jesus this morning. When we dismiss you in just a few minutes, if that's you and you want someone to pray with you, you want to understand what it means to know this Savior, Jesus Christ, as Redeemer, I invite you to our prayer room, top of the stairs, out in the foyer. People are there ready to walk and talk and pray with you this morning. For the rest of us, let's respond as the Spirit of God leads us during this time. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what you say about your word. And thank you that you reveal.
reveal yourself to us and you have come to us. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray.